I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, breaking down the AFC and NFC North draft halls here, Sam. We got some draft grades and all the like, like we've been doing the last three days. Yep. So uh, how long can we drag out the draft? Can we do another week of analysis after this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, three, three more weeks, easily. I will say... Uh, this is email time, right? This would be the time when we would encourage people to <laughs> send in emails. Yes. Give us show topics, things you would want us to break down. Give us like some really good shows that um, that's good for SEO and stuff that people would oh, yeah, want. Yeah. Well, also potentially, you know, this off season, um, we're still theoretically going five days a week. Yeah. You know? So we've got a lot of not a lot yeah. of air time to fill. So if you had an idea, you know, there's a little bit out there that maybe Maybe might make a show, you know, drafting animals, that kind of thing. Yeah, you drafting know, we, animals. We can get a whole show out of stuff now yeah. because there's nothing else happening. We did a periodic table of quarterbacks one yes. offseason, right? If you want to do periodic we table of, we of running backs. We should that. Who was the guy that sent that in? I wonder if he's still a listener or if we've turned him off with, you know, idiotic speak over the last couple of years. Or maybe we just didn't do enough uh, periodic table. But some guy sent us in, like a legit periodic table of quarterbacks. We could do an entire show on that. Because so, it's, it's new. Like we've years past, the, the elements will be updated. It's true. New, you know, the quarterbacks may have, uh, you know, evolved into different elements. Mm-hmm. That happened. Uh, anyway, NFL podcast at pff.com, right? No. Yes. yes. Is that the email? <laughs> yes, yes. It Great. Is. It's also in my. Uh, it's in my Twitter bio, I think. Oh, look actual, at you. The email address to send it to. Yeah, NFL. Also, also follow me on Twitter. I've fallen behind. NFL podcast at pff.com. At pff underscore Steve. I'm also uh, about to take the Mel Kiper hairdo off the Twitter avatar. Yeah, what's what's off season time for you? I don't know. I mean, I've been cycling through hats depending on the season. You know, like we had the, oh, the Irish Kentucky Derby hat. Shamrock. There you go. Derby weekend. There we go. Go do it. That's a short term one though. Before we get into the AFC and NFC North, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. For a second there, I thought I said, wondering how to make your family grow. Mm. And I thought, no, I'm actually not. No. We're got full. That pretty well covered. We're full right now. But you can make your money grow. Westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, AFC and NFC North. Let's start with the NFC. Chicago Bears. They're first up on the clock here. They picked at uh, they had pick nine. Yes. Traded down one spot to pick ten to get Darnell Wright, the tackle out of Tennessee. They stay in the SEC with their second pick. Gervin Dexter, the defensive tackle out of Florida. Tyreek Stevenson, the corner out of Miami, was their second second round pick. We saw Zach Pickens, another defensive tackle from the SEC, out of South Carolina in the third. And then early in round four, Roshan Johnson, the running back out of Texas. Uh, kind of like that pick there. Tyler Scott, the speedy wide receiver out of Cincinnati, who a lot of people had going much higher 
in this draft. He ended up being the second one on his own team somehow. He did, yeah. Trey Turner went ahead of him. Noah Sewell, the linebacker out of Oregon. Terrell Smith, your guy, cornerback out of Minnesota. Let's go. Um, some of the highlights there on day three for the Bears. So, overall, Sam, what are your thoughts on the Bears Hall? Uh, overall, I didn't love it. Um, I, I mean, I like – so, starting question would be, do we factor in – the move made weeks ago to trade out of number one down to where they ended up starting before they in our analysis yes i mean okay my take on the bears is i I think their process has been very sound over the last two years i think a lot of the bears team building process not perfect of course they traded chase claypool uh, for chase claypool for what ended up being pick 32 yeah process wise i love the bears now the part that we're supposed to not be as confident in the actual player evaluation part of it that's what I don't like as much. So take that for what it's worth. I like some of the players. I don't love some of the players that they took with their first few picks. I think process-wise, though, the Bears accumulating a ton of picks the last two years, the way they've spent in free agency, the way they traded down from one and got DJ Moore and the extra picks and they're set up for next year. I think the Bears as, an, as a franchise are making a lot, of good, a lot of good moves from a process standpoint. Now, carry on. Yeah, I mean, so if you factor in that they started off with number one, uh, overall, they decided they were going to stick with uh, Justin Fields, not pivot to a Bryce Young or whoever else they might have picked at number one overall. Trade out. They pick up DJ Moore along the way in addition to everything else they got for that that move. Um, so if you if you give them the credit for that, you start from a very high point because I think that's a solid move. That was the correct decision to make. Now you're uh, starting at number nine. Uh, you trade down one spot with Philadelphia and get the guy you were going to get anyway. Um, you assume that Chicago simply wasn't interested in Jalen Carter, whether they had him off the board, whatever. They're just not picking him, at which point they're happy to move back one spot essentially for free, right? They pick up an extra pick for nothing for a guy that they weren't drafting anyway. They grab Darnell Wright, an interesting decision, right? They Paris Johnson Jr. had already gone, but Peter Skoronsky was on the board. That was a guy that was being talked about a lot for Chicago. Um Pre-draft, someone that, that made sense to, to fill potentially either spot, whether it's guard or tackle. Instead, they go for Darnell Wright, the, the Tennessee tackle, who, you know, a, a kind of monster physical specimen, a guy that absolutely moves people when he gets contact on them. But, as you pointed out before, has one of the worst run-blocking profiles we've ever seen from an offensive tackle coming into the NFL. So, an interesting pick to grab him that high, then I think they're – I mean, so at that point it becomes do you love the value they got and do you love the players they got? The next three picks are a combination of not liking either of them. You know, whether I, either I didn't like the value or I didn't like the player. Tyreek Stevenson is just a, a corner I did not like in the process and, and have a lot lower than everybody else. So I'm automatically not going to like that as much as other people. Yeah, the one thing I did say on draft night, though, as far as the Darnell Wright pick – for a guy that, again, is 330 pounds, you know, you'll, people will describe him as a mauler and he crushes people and you know, his, his best blocks look really good. Um, one of the highest percentage of negatively graded blocks, he is in the right system, you know, so a system that is going to use the quarterback as a runner like Justin Fields that will make blocking easier for the offensive line because of the indecision that the uh, – defensive line and especially the linebackers have to face we see this a lot where linebackers are trying to figure out where the ball is and before you know it, boom the tackle's there I mean Wright moves well he's going to get up there and wreck some linebackers you know while they're trying to figure out is it Justin Fields is it 
uh, Roshan Johnson in the backfield? Is it Khalil Herbert? Who has the ball, you know? So I think the fit as far as uh, maybe minimizing some of his negatives, uh, Darnell Wright's negatives would be good, is good. Wright also looks like a very good pass protector. He has continued to improve there. People always cite the Will Anderson game, but there was others. I mean, he is a very polished pass protector, but just a, a one-year sample of that for, for Wright at Tennessee. So he'll step in and play right tackle. I did listen to a little bit of uh, Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles. They thought he was the best lineman in the draft with the most upside. You know, so they're, they're saying, hey, we, we, think there's, we think he's good citing his pass blocking, but they said there's room to grow there. And uh, look, last year at this time, they took Braxton Jones mm-hmm. in the fifth round, small school, and uh, developed him pretty well. So that's what you're banking on if you're the Bears. You know, the, I wasn't as low on uh, Tyreek Stevenson. You were the only one that I really talked to that hated Tyreek Stevenson <laughs> as much as as much as you did. So. I got very strong Artie Burns type vibes from him. I just I, same school scouting. Yeah, actually, I didn't. I never even uh, made that connection before. But also, same team, Chicago had Artie Burns for a while. They did. Um, I just I don't like a lot of what he does I his he's another one of these guys who's athletically there you can see that he can be a really good player but he's reasonably good in man coverage although he lunges a lot of times and misses and when he does it's bad but I don't know that he can play zone at all at the moment um I don't know I just have so last year the Bills drafted Kyrie Elam in the first round and Christian Benford by the time training camp rolled around or by the time week one rolled around a sixth round draft pick had jumped him on the depth chart and was the guy starting um, and ahead of him basically all season long outside of injuries. Wouldn't shock me in the slightest if Terrell Smith, the fifth rounder that they got out of Minnesota, jumped Tyreek Stevenson in the same way. I will say, I'll just drop the draft model insight in here that will be just interesting to follow for our listeners. Okay. The Bears, because Terrell Smith is low too because we're taking in Full yeah, the previous seasons when he, when he wasn't good. Because <laughs> because the way we've I've run the model, it is based off full career. Uh-huh. And Terrell Smith is a guy who broke out late. Yes. Darnell Wright is a guy who broke out late. So the model as a whole doesn't like those doesn't guys. like them. But you can understand. Like I can understand watching last year's film and saying, yeah, I love Darnell Wright or I love uh, Terrell Smith from uh, Minnesota. But I will say three out of the four Bears top picks, including the two defensive tackles, Zach Pickens and uh, Gervin Dexter, three out of the top four, and then Terrell Smith. We're all in the teens from a percentile standpoint hmm. in the model. That's not good. So I'm, I'm just saying historically it's not great. The I'm not saying it's going to, you know, that these guys can't be good or anything like that. But of all the players that I, I feel like could buck that trend, I think Darnell Wright and Terrell Smith, the corner out of Minnesota, Darnell Wright, their first-round pick, they do look the best on film. Pickens from the two different defensive tackles, you, there's not as great of a history – of low production players bucking trends. Right. Zach Pickens and, and Gervin Dexter out of Florida. Those guys, Dexter, both guys 30th percentile or lower in PFF pass rush grade, in run defense grade, over the course of their career, that's going to be a harder, you know, a little harder to overcome, I think, at the next level. Terrell Smith was weird because people either seem to love him or have him nowhere on their list. Like Lance Erlein, I think, had him in the top five, something like that. Yeah. Like had him ranked really high. Uh, His grades last year were very good. You see him up on the screen. Grades last year were very, very good. Exactly. Last year, if you watch just last year's tape, and he had the size we talked before about the... um, I don't think he had 69 interceptions, but, you know. No. No, I don't. But, you know. Maybe he did. Maybe I missed a few. Maybe. Anyway, 
he, he has the size. He's got the athleticism. There's a lot to like. If you look at just last year, you're like, I don't get why this guy wouldn't be a top 10 corner. But overall, on Arif Hassan's uh, consensus big board, he's the number 18th ranked corner. But Arif also has this variance, essentially, like how far apart were people generally when ranking this guy. There's no corner that had a higher variance than Terrell Smith. And I believe I'm reading this correctly, that essentially the difference in ranking on the big board was 157 spots between like the highest and the lowest point that Terrell Smith was ranked. I, the, I think the consensus board just kind of missed, probably misses the narrative on on him because Lance Erline, it felt like Lance discovered him late and put him in the top five and you discovered him late and but people just didn't catch up. So the consensus board didn't catch up. Effectively, there was only one player in the entire draft who had a higher variance in terms of where people were ranking him than Terrell Smith. Yeah, that's that, to me, that's just because people didn't get there. They didn't get to his film. Maybe. It happened late. Um, someone in the chat's asking about Gervin Dexter. Again, Florida defensive tackle. His, his, his career pass, uh, pass rush grade is 64. His career run defense grade is 66.8. Um, it's just not uh, three years of production, you know, a lot of, a lot of snaps. It's just not that good. He makes he makes plays against the run. He's got some. He's got good arms and he's got good hands. He can pop offensive linemen, but he's laid off the ball. Yeah, very laid off the ball, and he just doesn't win very often. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's the the bottom line. He just doesn't win often enough compared to others. So to so, me, that's a that's a real stretch, real projection for a second round pick. Right. We'll it, it, we give so bottom line for me is Chicago. You get you give them credit for trading out of number one, picking up DJ Moore. Like if you put DJ Moore in this draft class, it automatically looks an awful lot better. Darnell, Darnell Wright is fine. It's an interesting gamble as a player that I don't love, but I understand why teams would. And I'm curious to see how that works out within this offense, which is a good fit for him. Don't love the next three picks. But day, uh, day three, I like a lot more. Like you start adding now, Roshan Johnson, he's sort of seen as the other Texas running back, you know, with B. John Robinson. But I think that does him a big disservice. Like Roshan Johnson is a good player in his own right. Um, Tyler Scott is a really intriguing uh, receiver, deep threat option for them. Can do a bit more as well. He's got some underneath run after the catch ability as well. Terrell Smith, we already talked about. Noah Sewell is a very interesting player because he's got a weird body type that doesn't really look like a linebacker, but has been a pretty good player at that position. You have a weird body type. I do, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) But I I like their day three. Like I think the second half of their draft is much more intriguing to me than the first half. It is interesting. They actually mentioned, like, if hey, if Noah Sewell, if this is a year ago, he's going second round or you know, he's going much higher. So he, he did have a lot of a lot of hype earlier um, before his 2022 season. Uh, Roshan Johnson, I'm complete agreement. I like him quite a bit. They uh, polls even cited the fact that he was used in the Wildcat a bunch. Texas offense was kind of fun to watch because you'd have yeah. Roshan and Bijan in the backfield and other guys too. But Roshan Johnson, 99th percentile, missed tackles forced per attempt as good as it gets historically good zone runner uh i think he could be a very productive runner just very difficult to tackle mm-hmm. uh not the fastest guy but just difficult to tackle holds on to the ball really good job i, I like that pick roshan johnson so again i liked some of the picks i think noah Sewell's a you know mid-level type of prospect and good spot for him yep. in uh in round five mm-hmm. so um yeah i think for me I mean, so pff grade is a uh, is a B plus over at pff.com mostly by by Trevor there. I would be a little bit lower. I I would I would grade the Bears process as excellent 
over the last two years. They took a depleted roster, have added a lot of pieces to it. They've traded down a lot. They've added extra picks. I think the process has been outstanding by the Bears. I just didn't love a lot of their top. I didn't love their top 100 selections, basically. Right. They're the four, their four biggest picks, I just didn't love those all around. So I'm going to be lower on the Bears. One of the largest uh, undrafted free agent classes I think the NFL has, like an absolute hall of players here, the most interesting of which I think is probably Tyson Bajant, the Shepherd quarterback that a lot D2. of people loved. Yeah, Division II. Um, he went to what was it? The, did he go to the Senior Bowl? It was one of the all-star games that he went to because – Essentially, the NFL was saying, we have to see this guy against, you know, not Division II people. Right. So he was getting a ton of love and a ton of um, interest from the NFL and then ultimately went undrafted. But that's, you know, anytime you pick up a guy that's getting that kind of buzz as an undrafted, unrestricted free agent, that's pretty interesting. All right, let's go to the Detroit Lions. They kicked it off by trading down from pick number six. Trade down to number 12. They take running back Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. And then their 18th, uh, pick 18 in their second first rounder, Jack Campbell, the linebacker out of Iowa. They go back to Iowa in round two with tight end Sam Laporta. Safety Brian Branch in round two as well with pick 45. And then they go Hendon Hooker, the QB out of Tennessee. Um, Surprise the people with Broderick Martin, the monster defensive tackle out of Western Kentucky. And uh, some people like uh, Colby Swordstall as a developmental tackle in round five. So interesting uh, late round picks there for the Lions, but of course the whole story is going to be they had five picks out of the top 68. Yeah. Every time we did mock drafts, we said, man, there's this could be an amazing haul for the Lions. I think they got very good football players. Of course, the question is going to be the positional value aspect of it. Running back, linebacker to start. What are your thoughts on the Lions draft here? So the Lions draft requires some nuance. You know? I agree. I agree. If you don't like nuance, if you just want good or bad, you probably want to stop listening for a few minutes because it you need to sort of parse this out in pieces. I think, generally speaking, certainly at the top of the draft, the Lions reached, so that's bad, for good players, that's good, at positions of low value, that's bad. Now, where that balances out is the question and the thing that will determine how good this draft is. I think when you look at it in entirety, this is going to end up looking like a very good draft. The question is, did they maximize what it could have been if they had targeted maybe more valuable positions? Um, I also think that in this year of all years, there is more excuse for reaching, quote unquote. You know, usually we've been talking about that's a very bad thing to do. If you reach relative to the consensus board, the chances of you screwing up that pick are massive. Um, But part of it, I think, is the league is catching up a little bit to position value as much as some people fight against it. So I think generally consensus boards are going to skew towards uh, more valuable positions. So, for example, Bijan Robinson, right? You can see Bijan's ranking in consensus boards or just when, when you get other consensus boards that narrow the the thing a little bit like you can see PFF essentially dragging down Bijan's ranking yeah. because we factor in he's a running back you can't put a running back as the second most valuable or the second best player on a big board you have to drag him down the rankings a little bit and similarly you can see other big boards that don't factor in quarterback value so they'll get like you know the third best quarterback will rank in the 40s or whatever whereas PFF's the third best quarterback is probably going to be a top 10 player regardless so 
What I'm saying is I think if you do target players that are of these lower value positions, running back, off the ball, linebacker, tight end, safety, you're probably going to get – it's closer than it looks in terms of a reach relative to the big board because I think the big board is probably undervaluing those guys slightly because of the position value. So I think you can excuse that a little bit more than normal. And in this draft more than ever, I think there's value in going with the safety of just taking good players. Well said, Sam. I think that's all fair. Thank I mean, you. look, I, I'm torn, right? I mean, I, we joke about the model and this and that and the numbers I have or whatever, and every team has their own, not just numbers, they have their own convictions, right? They have their own scouting grades on this. And I listened to Brad Holmes and his press conferences uh, after night one, and you know, he, he mentioned, you see a lot of like the quotes that go around that he had or whatever. I mean, he's just, I thought he was very honest about the fact that they loved a handful of players in this draft. Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell, obviously two of them. He also admitted uh, a couple of the players that they loved were off the board. I mean, and he was doing that like loved these players. Mm -hmm. like, he was emphasizing the love factor. Um, I'm guessing one of those players was Devin Witherspoon, who went at number five, the pick before the Lions would have selected at six. And that's what's interesting about this whole thing, right? We now have this narrative that Brad Holmes – GM of the Lions doesn't believe in positional value and he drafted a running back in the first round and in fact in the top 12 when I do believe if Devin Witherspoon's on the board they probably just take him at six the cornerback out of Illinois they probably take Witherspoon at six and then maybe they circle back and get Campbell at 18 or maybe Gibbs ends up being the pick at 18 despite the fact that Brad Holmes claims that he got very many text messages saying oh he never would have been there at 18 right. good pick do people um, actually do that by the way because everybody says that, right? Oh, as soon as you pick that guy, everyone said, damn it, you sniped me. You know, the way I they do in mock drafts. Or, I bet there's one or two when we do, like, when we do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but we, like, we're not busy. You know what I mean? When we're doing those kinds of drafts, you're not really doing anything. So you're like, ah, damn it, you stole my player. I think Do both, NFL GMs in the middle of the draft, like, go, oh, quick, I got to – you snipe me. You grab my player. I was going to take him two spots later. It's probably always less need because he never has any picks. So he's just <laughs> texting everybody. But, like, I think it does happen because in round one, I think it can happen. GMs aren't actually that busy. Like, if you're picking at pick 28, you're not doing a whole lot at pick 12, right? You're not, you're not worried about a whole bunch until it gets closer. So um, you could go, you know, do whatever you want. So my bottom line for this draft is that the only – I think I'm coming around to the idea that the only pick of those first sort of four or five that I – don't like is Jameer Gibbs at 12. Um, and this is coming from the poster, you know, the guy that's been railing against, hey, we've gone too far with the running back correction. I think you could justify Bijan Robinson. Maybe I wouldn't have done it at eight, but 10, sure. Anywhere in the teens, 12, fine. I don't think you can make the same case for Jameer Gibbs. Bijan Robinson is the best running back prospect we've seen come into the league in 10, 15 years. Gibbs is not. And Gibbs is great. I love Gibbs. He's a great running back. He's an explosive player. He's a dynamic weapon. He can be a part of your pass game. There's a lot to love about Jameer Gibbs. But in this world of are you looking at a genuine unicorn or are you looking to find an exception? You know, I feel like Gibbs is looking to find an exception. Yeah. Like, is Gibbs really dramatically better than a lot of other running backs that have elite speed and receiving ability and explosiveness that have come into the league in the last 10 years, you know? And my answer to that is probably not. And even in this year where you're, you're low on blue chip players, it's, you know, a weird uh, draft and all that kind of thing, I think 12 for that is just too much. Okay, so let's, uh, there's, there's nuance to all this again. Um, let me just say off the bat, 
I do believe in the general axioms not to draft a running back that high. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was in draft meetings, I would discuss how much I love these players, but I would say as an organization, that's that's not for us. I would rather I would rather spend on a different position, no matter how much we love the player. What it was what was interesting about hearing Brad Holmes talk about Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell again was the love for those players. And in a draft where I think we all admitted there there were probably some teams who only wanted to draft maybe eight or ten players in the first round. And the Lions were saddled with two picks. And some of their players were already off the board. They did trade down, grab an extra pick or two, right? That was, As a starting point, that was excellent, yeah. I thought. And then I think they just said, there's only a handful of players that we really, really love. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Brad Holmes described both players not as their position. Jameer Gibbs isn't a running back. Yeah. Jack Campbell isn't a linebacker. Which is, which is kind of like, again, you're in these draft meetings, and I see Dan Campbell and all the scouts and the coaches are like, Jameer Gibbs is just a football player. He fits the culture. Like, this is what's happening in the meeting, right? He fits what we want. He's, he's, a, he's a culture fit. He's an explosive player. He can score from anywhere on the field. He's a playmaker, right? And all of that's true. All of that's true, and it's fine. But at the end of the day, he still is a running back. Yeah. And there's still a pay scale for running backs. And, you know, he's still going to be making, you know, mid-tier running back money right off the bat. Like, that stuff still matters from a team-building standpoint. And particularly on the offensive side of the ball, I think it speaks to this idea of looking for an exception. Like, seeing something that isn't really there. I think you hear a lot of times when teams zero in on a, an unusual skill set player on offense, they, when they want to talk them up, they start talking about, well, this guy's not, you know, insert pigeonhole position here he is he's a weapon like he's just a you know he's an x factor it's like but the league generally is not good at at maximizing the use of those guys if you have a guy like remember when denard robinson was just he's just an offensive weapon okay and how did that work out right he just wasn't good enough at anything to be used in the nfl so i'm not saying that jameer gibbs is denard robinson in terms of not being good but my point is when you start articulating this guy is not a running back. He's not a receiver. He's a weapon. He's something, you know, he's an offensive playmaker. What that is actually describing is we don't quite know what to do with this guy because he doesn't fit naturally into a normal spot. And when that is your starting point, I question whether you're best able to use what he's good at. Like Christian McCaffrey has been talked about for years as this unique weapon, offensive playmaker. And he has, like, nobody's been particularly good at unlocking this, you know, unrivaled, unique superstar potential of Christian McCaffrey. Like, you can use him more as a receiver, but the but league I think is that's not a, good at that. But here, here's, here's where I, I disagree, I think, slightly here. When you say Jameer Gibbs is a weapon, I don't think it means you don't know what you're going to do with him. I think it means you're going to go out of your way to get him the ball. And again, this is where I think it ends up becoming, it, it actually becomes riskier. When you say, we have Jameer Gibbs, he's an offensive weapon, we're going to line him up in the slot. We're going to line him up wide. We're going to, this guy needs to have 10 touches in the pass game per, per game, plus 10 carries. That is when I think it becomes scary. When it is good, and where I'll disagree a little bit, is I think the Niners used Christian McCaffrey perfectly fine. They didn't say, hey, we just traded a haul for Christian McCaffrey. He's got to get his touches. Yeah. There were some games where he got touches. There were some games where he lines up out wide, 
He has a mismatch against a linebacker and he wins. There are some games where he carries the ball more than others, creates some big plays. But if the Niners went and said, McCaffrey's got to get his touches, that would be to the detriment of players who were, had more valuable touches, who is Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. If the Lions take touches away from Amonra St. Brown, potentially Jamison Williams down the field, and even their tight ends, if they take touches away from them to force feed Jameer Gibbs, then I think that's a problem. But when they use Gibbs and it's like, this week against these linebackers, he might have eight or ten catches and that's going to win us a game, that's where you use the offensive weapon and I think it's okay. So I think there's a fine line between feeding a guy and just using him as your third or fourth option in playing matchups within a week where Gibbs can be really valuable. Yeah, like the 49ers unlocked, quote-unquote, Christian McCaffrey better than anybody else has managed. And I think they did it simply by asking him to just be the running back in what is already an absolutely smoke and hot offense like they didn't do anything particularly special with him they didn't do anything wildly creative they just said you're going to be our running back and you have more skills than the guys that were in that position beforehand but he played some wide receiver he split out wide and they used like formation variation and all that stuff they used it but no more than like any other offense like they haven't invented this like so they have done a really good job of genuinely creating a an offensive weapon trademark position for Debo Samuel They didn't do that for McCaffrey. They just made him the running back. And in that system, the running back is capable of making far more big plays because everybody else is already terrorizing defenses. So my point being, when you start talking like that, of this guy is not a running back, he's an offensive weapon, he's just a playmaker, I worry about what your plan for him actually is. And if you're wildly overestimating your capability to create something that doesn't really exist. And now look, all that being said, Ben Johnson, I think, was the coach of the year last year in terms of being able to do that kind of thing. So if you're going to lean on anybody crafting a position that doesn't exist, I'm going to say Ben Johnson is the guy to to be able to get the most out of that. But I I do think that when you start talking like that, you have effectively labeled a guy as something that he isn't, which is unique. And Jameer Gibbs is an explosive, fast running back that can catch. That's great. But they tend to come into the NFL most years, you know? I don't know that you've identified this unicorn that we haven't seen the likes of before, and which is the only way you can justify spending the 12th overall pick on him, essentially. So, look, yeah, I think it's um, – I don't know what the alternative is for the Lions. At 12? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you could take other players. I'm just saying – I'm trying to get into their mentality. It feels like they only wanted – they only had like six or seven players that they loved in the first. So you could always keep trading down. You could say, oh, they should have drafted Christian Gonzalez. But if they truly don't want him, fine. Um, I guess I guess before you get to that point where you just only love so many players, I think you need to factor in the positional value stuff yeah, and all I mean, that, whatever, not, you know? Not just Gonzalez, right? But at that point in the draft, you would have had number cornerback number two, whoever you thought that was, wide receiver number one, um, tight end number one, uh, how many edges have gone? One, two, to edge number three. So that's probably not, you can make the case there, but like you had a lot of options. So, you know, I think there were other ways to go. Kalijah Kansi, by the way, who I think is a top 10 player, is available at either of the two spots that the Lions drafted their guys at. So, look, I, that's the one position where I have a bit of a problem with it. I don't think that Jameer Gibbs can gonna, justify 12 overall. But right, I'm going to give one more statement here. Well, okay, let me. You want to do that before and then go to the other spots? It's going to include the other players. Okay, so the other positions, though, I think there's a much more sound, cogent argument. 
Jack Campbell at 18. All right, it's a reach, fringe first rounder we were talking about. Having said that, in a draft where every linebacker looks like a weird safety hybrid, Jack Campbell has prototypical 6'5", 250-pound uh, size and the athleticism to go with it. He is a rare linebacker in this draft. I don't really have a problem with taking him at 18. Sam Laporta at, at 34, did, you took him over a guy like Darnell Washington. I don't really have a problem with that. Laporta has incredible run after the catch ability. I think he's more suited to today's NFL. And then Brian Branch at 45, that's one of the best picks in the entire draft. I think that guy is a top 10 talent. And the league let him slide because they don't seem to know what to do with him or his athleticism was a little bit less than they require. Either one of those two things are both put together. Either way, getting him at 45 is an absolute freaking steal. And then last one, Hendon Hooker in the third round, that's a great pick. Like, that's where Hendon Hooker's supposed to go. As much as I've been railing against, like, his projection to the NFL, it's because everyone was talking about him in the first round, which was batshit crazy given that offense. But in the third, pick 68, that's, that's an incredible, um, a perfect gamble that if it pays off is one of the best picks in the draft. Yeah, I, I love the value in the second round, the third round. Agree with a bunch of that, Sam. Um, I, I think the Lions are creating a really fun offense. They were a fun offense last year, and they barely tapped into Jamison Williams' deep speed. Laporta is a very shifty tight end. He's difficult to cover, and the Lions did a great job of putting tight ends in space last year as well. And and then Gibbs, you know, the, the space that the, the, the Lions create for their playmakers, and they've got some really good explosive playmakers now. So all of this, all of this said, here's why I'm torn. First four play, I, I don't know if we feel the positional value thing. I don't know if we're going to feel it on the field. Brad Holmes was like, you're going you're gonna to see these guys contribute right away. I agree with him. Like, I, I think we're going to see the Lions be good next year. And I think these guys are going to contribute. So we're not, I don't know if we're not necessarily going to feel the opportunity cost of maybe not taking higher positions or whatever it may have been. But where I'm really torn is their first four players, all model guys that I believe in, all guys that I think uh, do project well at the next level. And then Hendon Hooker, again, fantastic value at, at pick 68 in the draft in round three, where he probably should have gone round, round two or round three. And there is, there is, um, there is no bad quarterback pick I don't think Kellen Mond who barely even made the roster after year two didn't make the roster after year two I don't think that's a bad quarterback pick you get quarterbacks in the building and you see and it's not throwing away a third round pick it's fine so overall I do like the Lions draft even with all the questions at the top because I, I do like the players and um, I think they're all gonna contribute Brian Branch and Jack Campbell as far as productive football players on that defense in a draft where there's a ton of question marks, I think that's going to, I think it's going to end up paying off for the yeah. Lions. So I, that's why I'm torn. I think they got good players. I think they, the, the only question is, again, it's opportunity cost. That's the thing I've been hammering home with running backs. It's what did you leave on the table right. to take a guy at that spot that is more, that is a more valuable position. And with the running, with the Gibbs one in particular, I think they left too much on the table. That's the move I think they goofed on. Um, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, no real problem with those picks. I think they added good football players at positions that they can use. And then Hendon Hooker, I think, is a phenomenal gamble to take. I think that's a brilliant pick for them. Um, so overall, I think this was a good draft. I just, the Jameer Gibbs pick is the one that I question. It's a B-plus over at PFF.com. B-plus for the Lions. Nuanced, a nuanced take on the Lions here. Nobody Sam. likes nuance. Green Bay Packers, they up next? Do they get anybody uh, interesting as an undrafted free agent? I don't know. No, you don't. You're, they got Starling Thomas. There you go. Oh, I like Starling Thomas. 
The fifth? Yep, the fifth. Out of UAB, athletic corner. Like Get any, him in the mix. Anytime yeah. a guy has been iterating for four or five generations, you've got, got to take that gonna guy. It's going to be the best one. Right. It's going to be the best one. Uh, Green Bay Packers are up next. They start with uh, Lucas Van Ness, pick 13 that they got from the New York Jets. Tight end Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. They go Jaden Reed, the wide receiver out of Michigan State in the second round. They double up at tight end. A common Packers move. Tucker Kraft, the tight end out of South Dakota State in round three. And then uh, day three was just loaded with picks. Colby Wood and Edge out of Auburn. Sean Clifford, the QB out of Penn State. I did not expect him to get drafted. Uh, Dontavian Wicks. Some people had Wicks as one of their top receivers. Look at him going in the fifth round. What was the NFL missing there? Carl Brooks, the edge. We have him as a defensive tackle, but he's an edge in Sam's mind from Bowling Green. He is 300 pounds, so he should be a defensive he tackle. He will be a defensive tackle, but you he was so? an edge and should remain an edge because he's really good there. And the other two very interesting picks in round seven, Anthony Johnson Jr., some people's first round safety out of Iowa State. Some people's. And Grant DuPose, wide receiver out of Charlotte. Can't, like, quietly Very call cryptic. out the boss. He was on the show and he listens. Chris loved he's Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety out of Iowa State. I was a little concerned that Chris would never get to see Anthony Johnson play football unless it was like the Hall of Fame game or Our something guy, where he was, you know, an undrafted, but he's a seventh rounder that can make this team in Green Bay. Ben Fennel on Twitter thinks he could start. I mean, a seventh rounder that could end up replacing Adrian Amos and can't wait. start for them. I can't wait till Chris is, is sitting there. It's December. It's Green Bay. He's got the... It's got the sweater look going because it's freezing there, right? The quarter you know, zip. It's, yeah, the quarter zip going, and it's like, there he is. There's my guy, Anthony Johnson, starting safety for the Single Packers. Single tear rolls down his yeah. eye, just pride, you know? Yeah. Eat that, NFL. Look at him now. <laughs> look at him now. What would you think of the Packers draft, Sam? Um, yeah, an interesting draft. So I, I didn't love Lucas Van Ness, the, the player, generally. Uh, so obviously I'm not going to be as wild on that one. But they needed receivers across the board. They're – three next picks were all receivers of some description, two tight ends and, and Jaden Reed, the wide receiver. Uh, I think that's good. I like that strategy of doubling up when you have a big need, try and maximize your capacity to actually hit. Luke Musgrave, a lot of people seem to sour on him as the process went on. I, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I think he's got the ability, the talent, the athleticism. Uh, obviously, the sample size is pretty small because he only lasted a couple of games last year before getting hurt. But, I mean, he looked like he could be an impact receiver. Tucker Craft has really good athleticism, can you know at least double your chances that one of those guys hits. And then some of the day three picks I think are fascinating. Like Carl Brooks, one of my favorite players in the entire draft. That guy's PFF grades, the production of Bowling Green were nuts. He had 61 pressures last season, I think, a pass rush win rates of, of like 23%, something crazy like that. One of the most productive players in the entire nation, but he's a 300 pound edge rusher who tested like a hippo like his testing numbers were atrocious like a hippo they were abysmal like uh, let me call up his thing but I, and they you therefore don't know what to do with him like a 300 pound edge rusher doesn't work so he's going to have to play inside uh, at some capacity and then you, you you know what does that look like if you have zero athleticism profile to bring to the table okay measurables uh 40 yard dash sixth percentile uh 10 yard split seventh percentile vertical jump third percentile 27 inches uh broad jump seventh percentile the short shuttle the first percentile a five second short shuttle that's like what the three cone that was his best movement measurable the 13th percentile a 7.63 second three cone time i mean these are 
catastrophic workout numbers to the point where you're like, I, how is this guy even getting drafted? These are non-viable numbers. You cannot function in the NFL with that kind of athletic profile. But his tape is in, in, it's really good. And I actually think it's really good on the edge. I think he's a better edge rusher than he was inside. Anytime they moved him inside, he didn't have the same kind of array of moves. He didn't have the same kind of production. He's a good edge rusher somehow, despite being 296, 300 pounds. Is the 300-pound Carl Brooks better on the edge and the 265, 270-pound Lucas Van Ness better on the interior? Yes. Almost, uh, I mean, unquestionably so, based off the current evidence, in my I've, opinion. I've given credit to the Chiefs for having all sorts of different body types and multi-gap players and everything. It does seem like the Packers have a, an interesting crew with that stuff, too, right? Rashawn Gary and Van Ness, maybe as your starting edges by name, mm-hmm. but Preston Smith is still there. Van Ness can move around. Devontae Wyatt's more of an interior penetrator, last year's first rounder at defensive tackle. But then you add Carl Brooks to the mix as another uh, move-around big body type. So I asked on Twitter, every year you get these guys with, with the Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford thing, right? Players that are drafted lower than somebody at the same position in the same year by the same team and end up jumping that player. I have some answers for you, too, On the depth the chart. I've got, some, I've got some answers. Well, I think the Packers, they've got three guys that could do it. I mean, the Packers could have Tucker Craft easily jump Luke Musgrave. That wouldn't be shocking at all. They're vaguely similar in terms of uh, ranking by a lot of people. Um, at wide receiver, they drafted three of them, Jaden Reed, uh, Dontavian Wicks, and Grant DuBose. I really liked Grant DuBose as a day three guy. Um, very sort of raw and new to the position, but has a lot of skills. Wouldn't shock me if he jumped one or both of the guys above him. And crazy as it sounds, I mean, Carl Brooks, I think, is a better edge rusher than Lucas Van Ness right now. Oh, you're crazy. Now, who yeah, knows where they're going to play? Like, both those guys may end up seeing most of their time inside. And, and Lucas Van Ness is very new to the position, very inexperienced. He could get an awful lot better. But it wouldn't be crazy if Carl Brooks ended up jumping him early I, I, I early go, playing time. I want to go through the Packers draft to history really quick because this history of doubling up on positions is really fascinating yeah. that, they, that they've done. I mean, you could go all the way back to 2012 where they drafted Jarrell Worthy, the defensive tackle in round two, and then Mike Daniels the defensive tackle in round four. Daniels was the guy that was that ended up being better. More specifically, though, 2015, they drafted Demarius Randall, mm-hmm. safety by name, but they played him at corner. Demarius Randall at corner and then Quentin Rollins at corner they with their both, first two yeah. picks, right? And then they come back two years later and they go – or three years later and they go back-to-back corners again. 2018, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, both corners. Mm-hmm. And then they go three wide receivers – Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown. And in all of these situations, they found one, right? Jair was good. Josh Jackson, not good. Valdez-Scantling was very productive. The other two receivers, not so much. They did this again last year with uh, Romeo Dobbs in the second, Christian Watson in the second. Now, both of those guys I think are going to prove to be valuable, but they specifically double up at this position of need. And not just positions of need, but like, you know, positions that are pretty valuable where they're saying we're going to take multiple shots at this to find one we're going to take two shots or three shots to find one and it's worked out pretty well for the Packers historically and the number of times that it's not the top guy that ends up being the best player of the doubling up process is huge like for everyone that's going to look at this and say oh there's no way any of those guys jump the guy ahead of them like obviously there's a reason they're taken below the player that was taken ahead but the number of times that the second or third player in the double or triple up process jumps the guy ahead of him is it's not as small as you would think it is it happens pretty regularly 
So I'm, I'm really interested by that, right? The two tight ends, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. The thing with Musgrave, he is, he is an interesting prospect because he had no production until 2022. And his 2022 production was two games. Yeah. And he gets hurt. But he looked really good in those two games. 6'6 six, six frame. He moves well. He's a kind of a clunky route runner sometimes. But you can understand where there's some development there. But you see the body and the movement skills. And it's like he can go up and get it. Um, so you, I think between Musgrave and Kraft, yeah, you could use both. But you're going to, uh, you know, probably have one of those guys that emerges as a tight end. And Jaden Reed, I think, is more of a, a change of pace, you know, he can do jet sweep stuff. He's a pretty good route runner. He wins at the catch point. Jaden Reed does a lot of things pretty well at receiver. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it will be interesting to see if just Grant DuBose, who was a slick route runner, beat Deontay Banks for a touchdown when they played Maryland and yep. good body control. And I'm surprised Grant DuBose uh, from Charlotte lasted all the way to the seventh. Same. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Packers draft might be one of those where you, you look at the volume. What was it, 12 players, 13 players? Do you find four or five players out of this? Yeah, they might come from various rounds, though. Um, and uh, look, I think Van, I don't know if Van Ness will ever be a star, but I think he's a he's a good, solid player, kind of an old school five tech body that uh, that will fit in with the uh, the group of pass rushers that they have in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. Sean Clifford in round five. Mm. He's right there with your. Uh, uh, DTR from uh, UCLA, like those quarterbacks who start their career with such inconsistency, where you're like, no way these guys ever become prospects. But but like DTR got better and better and better, where Clifford was still as maddeningly inconsistent <laughs> in his final year at Penn State, like year 12, whatever it was. And I was I was a little surprised to see him go that high. Yeah, he's a talented guy. He's a talented quarterback that was just like, you know, mediocre college quarterback yeah it's kind of fascinating the way some teams sometimes value those that area of pick like fifth round is still like you can get some players in the fifth round and yet you take a guy that's basically i mean a total projection um just to put a bow on their draft anthony johnson from iowa state we were joking about like chris uh, collinsworth watched the film and mm -hmm. loved him yeah. absolutely loved him and isn't and, alone in that yeah and other people did too and i, I mentioned too he was a, a model identifier last year he had good production at corner model adjacent model adjacent and uh, he was he was on my watch list this year but that he converted to safety at iowa state he was just far less inconsistent but the two things i like it's uh multiple positions that he's played been pretty productive and then he did have one of the fastest pure straight line speed times using our uh, in-game game athleticism uh, so you see a lot of the potential there, but like, yeah, for a seventh round pick where the, the paths to the field, you have last year of Darnell Savage, we have Rudy Ford, Tariq Carpenter, Tarvarius Moore. I mean, there's paths to the field for seventh round safety, Anthony Johnson out of sure. Iowa State, where he actually could see some time for the Packers here. So I, I think I think the Packers are going to steal some production from two or three of these day three players, and we're going to we're going to like this draft over time. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be the players necessarily that, you know, I individually like or that you individually like, but this this looks like the kind of draft which is uh, exactly what you you do if you have that many needs, if you need some contributors. Like, you draft a bunch of times, you double up at some positions, and you essentially play the odds, right? Like, this is an acknowledgement of the fact that we're not great at this, that your yeah. strike rate might be 30%. But if it's 30%, Fine. Draft three wide receivers. One of them hits statistically. You know, draft a couple of tight ends. One of them might hit statistically. Draft a couple of defensive linemen. One of them statistically probably hits. Like, this is what they've done. They needed players at certain positions. 
they've shotgunned their approach at it. They drafted a bunch of guys they liked, and then they hope that statistically, by the odds, you know, they're going to get contributors out of each one of those spots and therefore fill their needs. I'll say of their first five picks, I don't have strong feels about any of them. Like any of their uh, first three rounders, or rounds one through three there, Van Ness, Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, their, four, their first four. I don't have strong feels either way, so don't uh, love, don't hate. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't have wildly Jaden Reed takes. did go higher, much higher than ex- uh, expected. I think his consensus board was in the hundreds or so, and he goes at 50. I think Musgrave at 42 is a solid pick. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I like Musgrave. and I like the two tight ends the most of their first four picks. I think those are good players at solid value at, at a wildly needy position. So we go uh, B-plus for the Packers over at PFF.com. Minnesota Vikings up next to round out the NFC North. They start with your guy, wide receiver Jordan Addison in round one. Cornerback Makai Blackman back to USC in round three, pick 102. Um, They only picked from a couple schools here, I see. Mm. Jay Ward at LSU, the corner slash safety in round four. Jaquelin Roy, defensive tackle, nose tackle more than anything over at LSU. Jaron Hall, the QB out of BYU. And then Dwayne McBride, running back out of UAB. Some people loved Dwayne McBride. I think Trevor said that was his RB3. Yeah. So McBride. The, the, Who I get? Like I, I, McBride is a really good player. Getting him in round seven looks like a potential steal. The PFF uh, draft tracker, you know, if you're watching the draft through the thing, one of the, one of the features of it is you get who people want to get picked at a certain spot. You know, we've reached X position in the draft. You vote on who you want the next pick to be. And for like the last three rounds, everybody was just Dwayne McBride. That was the pick everybody yeah. wanted for their team. So, yeah. So Not Max Duggan? No. This is like the opposite of the Packers draft, right? And the Packers took this approach of we have a few positions of need. Let's attack them with volume and um, maximizing our chances by doubling and tripling up. The Vikings essentially did the opposite and went, well, we're only going to pick six times in the draft, and let's just hope that we're better at identifying talent than other people. So we'll take wide receiver Jordan Addison in the, in the first round, and then our next pick is the third round. We'll take a cornerback, Mikai Blackman from USC. And, you know, those are our main positions. Now, they did double up with Jay Ward later on, um, but they're basically relying on having identified the two USC players as being able to make an impact pretty much right away. Yeah, so Quasi's second draft here too, and you know, didn't have as many picks. But we're talking when we talk. So their second round pick went to the Lions for T.J. Hawkinson. Yeah, and if when we mentioned the positional value stuff, they went. Did you? Yeah, they were very high on the position. Two years, so two years in a row, all of their top picks. They went last year. They went corner safety or safety corner. This year they go wide receiver corner and then a hybrid corner safety. They have so far pretty much gone with the positional value stuff and then the lower positions your guards your defensive tackles and all that stuff in the middle rounds they have kind of stuck to that so far through two years under Quasi. did your uh hunt through press conferences and sound bites i didn't get to them oh, okay so i was curious about how much because obviously you know they would have it seems like they would have been better served to trade back early and pick up extra picks they I, didn't get it done now were they looking to do that or were they happy that Jordan Addison had fallen to 23 and just made that pick. I did get to that, actually. I did see some crazy quotes. Where they, were the, they lasted as long as they could on the clock, and he did say they had a lot of options. So um, I know there's so many trades now. I, I think the Vikings were 
were looking to trade back. I, I just don't know if they got the value that they would have wanted. Right. Uh, the teams that were later in the first round, um, the Bills obviously were trying to trade up for Dalton Kincaid, and they did. Mm-hmm. The Bengals were getting a ton of calls to trade up to 28. So I don't know if, and I think it was the Titans. I think the Titans were very active trying to go get Will Levis. I don't know how early, though. Right. So I think they were trying to go get Levis at 26, 27, 28 range. Maybe not as early as 23. Did you see the clip uh, on Chris Long's podcast about, uh, from Brandon Bean? Yes. About when he traded up, he actually had to uh, he had to tell the Jags who he was Multiple gonna, people. So the, the, the Giants had to do it as well when they flipped the spot. The, yeah. the Giants basically had to tell him that they weren't going to take his guy. Balky, Trent Balky. Yeah, Trent Balky with the Jags. He traded down twice and made the teams that traded up assure him that he right. wasn't taking Anton Harrison, the tackle yes. from Oklahoma, which isn't normally the protocol there. No, but, but it's I, not. I thought it was smart by Balky. Like you didn't, you don't want to miss out on your guy, and it's like I still want to trade down. Yeah, so. I mean, it's like give me some assurance. It's here. not the way it's done, but it's a fairly reasonable <laughs> stipulation. Like I want a specific player, and I'm willing to trade down, but not if I risk losing him, so you're going to have to convince me you're not. And with the Giants, you know, they seem perfectly happy, essentially, to say, here's the guy we're picking, you know, do it or not. Uh, for the, the Bills, it was, he had to do it through a series of, like, indirect questions, you know? It's like, uh, offense or defense? Offense. Huh. Big or small? Medium. It's like, uh, are you taking a tight end? I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, then we're probably all right. I, thought, I think that's hilarious, by the way. I think it's hilarious. So, so I'm a little surprised that the Vikings only picked six times. Yes, it's I. I would imagine that runs contrary to what you would expect Quazy to do yeah. as a process standpoint. So this is a draft where I'm on the fence and I'm consciously torn between they drafted with their earliest picks and and you know Dwayne McBride as well. They drafted players that I like, but the process of only picking six times is not good to me. And yeah. you know as much as I love Mackay Blackman. That I think that was a lot higher than his ranking on the consensus board, right? It was, yeah. I mean, I think he was expected. I saw him going as high as the 200s Yikes. Uh, in the seventh, which, look, I think you and I both evaluated him, probably thought that was a mistake. I'd be happy taking him in the fifth. So 98. No, no, sorry. Where am I? Yeah. 197 was his spot in the. Yeah. Uh, no, 185. I'm looking at the wrong one. 185. He goes to pick 102. So it's, it's not it's egregious, but yeah, it's it's. It's a lot higher than he was expected yeah. to go. I like both players, though. Jordan Addison, I think, of all the receivers. Let me talk about the players for a minute, and then we'll get to the fact that they picked only six times. Addison's a very good player. I think, you know, route running, I mentioned on the broadcast his game speed is better than his time speed because we have uh, in-game, uh, you know, video. Tracking data. Com- yeah, we have in-game tracking data. Computer vision tracking data. And so he's faster in the game than he is on the you know he's track he basically. was my number one receiver throughout the process remember this is a guy that won the Bolitnikoff award right back with when he was with Pitt yes um when Kenny Pickett was his quarterback transfers to USC plays a different role uh still has obviously a, a, an elite quarterback with Caleb Williams throwing in the ball but has shown now that he can play inside or outside slot you know or or boundary he can win at all levels of the field he can win deep he can take uh, bubble screens and have success with them he can win over the middle he has shown that he has greater tapes or a greater on-field speed than his measurable speed. The the biggest question really is his size. Like he showed up and weighed was 170 something pounds. Now, number one, I don't really care. I think he's shown that it's not a massive deal the way he plays the game. Number two, 
it's not like that's necessarily all he'll ever be. As much as there are players that are never going to get any, any bigger. There was a thing recently, uh, Garrett Williams. Garrett Williams is not a big receiver either, right? He was 180 or something when he came out. Now, Garrett Williams said, I think, that he— Wilson? Yes, Wilson, sorry. sorry yeah. Garrett Wilson, um, last year's Rookie of the Year. So obviously, weight is not a massive deal for him, but he's quote-unquote undersized relative to, you know, you want a 200-pound body at receiver, blah, blah, blah. I think he said that he finished— last season at 181 and was now up to 188 and wants to end up being 190 something right so it's not like this is necessarily a static this is what you are forever in a day Garrett, or, uh, jordan addison weighs 170 something pounds could easily end up playing in the nfl at like 185 at which point nobody cares that's an that's a fine size it's still undersized it's not the 200 pound body you want but it's not like oh this is a problem we can't have this particularly when he's a secondary threat next to justin jefferson who is like your prototypical number one can do everything so i love this fit for the offense i love the player generally i think this was their second best pick because i think Dwayne mcbride was their best pick in the seventh round but this is a great pick and then i love mckay blackman the player I there, but I am concerned by the fact that they picked him like a hundred spots higher than his ranking on the, the consensus board. Yeah, I mean, we both like Blackman on tape. He had unbelievable interception against Oregon State, and gets you know uses his hands really well in press. They're going to play a lot more press man in Minnesota. I think and they had a fit. real needed corner. Yeah, tenacious at the catch point and all that stuff. So I think Blackman has a path to the field here for uh, for Minnesota. So yeah, I like those top two players. Jay Ward was never really productive at LSU. Uh, never graded above 55 in a full season or sorry above 60 in a full season hybrid slot safety so again I don't love him and, and Roy the nose tackle I know uh, our guy Seth Galina loved him but again production wise was kind of similar to the defensive tackles that the Bears right. selected so projections not great necessarily for him and McBride I think can can contribute and, and be a player I am surprised with how much activity there was in the draft there were so many trades after round one so many round two round three round four guys moving up extra picks this and that i am surprised that the vikings didn't trade down not oh. just because quasi's there yeah not just because you know you think he's got the type of guy that's going to draft 10 times every year but also because of the place where the vikings are from a roster standpoint yes. because they just gutted the roster you're losing veterans and you have to replenish it with just more players young players that um you know you're trying to more lottery tickets. now one thing that we need to loop in now based off exactly that okay one general criticism they didn't have as many picks as you would have expected them to amass or create or, or blah, blah blah having said that they had one of the biggest and one of the most interesting undrafted free agent classes if you want to call it that right yeah loop they it went in. they went hard on undrafted free agents so if you're not going to pick as many times as other people how do you offset that well, you can go after the, uh, the priority undrafted free agents and you can make them a priority because at that point, it's essentially a bidding marketplace. And the Vikings signed Andre Carter, the edge rusher from Army, and gave him what is one of the largest undrafted free agent contracts that has ever been given out in NFL history. He got guaranteed $340,000, something like that, which is a monster number for an undrafted uh, rookie. So they was, went hard after these strong guys. The, the highest... It might have been, yeah. Like 250, 260 you last got year, a lot. biggest guarantee. Um, so Andre Carter, it's one of the largest undrafted free agent deals that's ever been signed. They also got Ivan Pace Jr., the Cincinnati linebacker that's like 5'10", 230 pounds. 
blitzes like an absolute freight train. He's a fascinating player. They got a lot of very interesting players in un, as an undrafted free agent and clearly prioritized it with money. So I think you have to link that with the fact that they only picked six times. Did you know that's that's not ideal. That's not great process generally, but like it looks like they consciously acknowledged that and tried to f- to fix it, tried to redress that with their undrafted free agent pool. I, I saw Lance Erline, our friend, say uh, teams teams are spending so much in undrafted free agency, agents are going to start wanting their players to not get drafted. They're going to sure. want an undrafted free agency. And that's been t- for a while. But, but he also phrased it as like teams are going to start drafting the players they want in the sixth and seventh instead of waiting until undrafted free agency. It's like, isn't that shouldn't that always be the case? Like if, if, if Andre Carter got drafted in the sixth instead of going undrafted, there'd be somebody that got drafted in the sixth or seventh that is undrafted that's going to get money because he's like there's still always going to be coveted players in undrafted free agency. So yeah, of course you should draft the guys that you want before they hit undrafted free agency so you could draft them and control them. I didn't, I didn't understand the premise. Draft the players that you want. Don't let them hit free agency. But, but, evidently, but if they do hit free agency, go get them. Fine. Evidently, teams aren't necessarily doing that because there are these guys that are, are wildly coveted undrafted free agents that teams have the opportunity to pick in the seventh round and don't. I, so I think where there's an issue with teams drafting is they're not, they're not really trying to hit home runs with every single pick. And it's harder to hit home runs in round six and seven. But I do think there are still players you would lean toward who have a chance to compete to start at some point. And I think at that point, it's a lot of like, hey, you know, this scout pounded the table and this guy's region needs a guy. And um, I know they did that in baseball. You hear about that in football a lot. Or we really need a gunner. Got to get that gunner in round six or seven. I think that's the problem. Like, keep drafting the best players all the way through the end of the draft. Fill all your needs in undrafted free agency. You like, find your gunner later, or somewhere else, or just don't have a gunner because you're not going to punt. You know, that's how you handle it. Mm-hmm. B minus for the uh, Vikings over at PFF.com. Sound fair? Yeah. Um, I, I think when you factor in, so the undrafted free agents are interesting. Like Andre Carter. I think is a fascinating. I would have said day three was the project. I think he should have been like, he's going to look like a player that was wild. There was great value because people had him like in the third round and, and some crazy stuff like that. Um, where did he actually end up on the consensus board? Edge rusher. Who? Andre Carter. Carter. Well, so here's Carter's deal, right? Like we were probably overrating him last so he year. He was 101 time. on the consensus board. We were probably over uh, underrated. Do you see his workout recently? Did you catch up on that again? Did it I just, watch like, it or did I see the like, numbers? Did you see the numbers? Like they popped in my face the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. The workout was terrible. Yeah, not good. Um, but Andre Carter last year at this time was like a hopeful first rounder as a pass rusher who needed work in the run game. Um, and he's super – he's very tall. 6'6". Six, six. Very tall, but skinny, right? Skinny legs and just doesn't – but you made the point, is this because he's in the Army yes. training? Is that the – is that – no. That's worth taking a shot on because he's a talented pass rusher. Yes, and that only could bulk up in the NFL. And only the straight line, explosive things were bad from the workout. The change of direction stuff was good. Three cone, short shuttle. I don't. 
I don't know how the Army's working out these days, but like I know you know, probably used to be a lot of distance running and all that stuff, which is right. all terrible for football. Exactly. You would and, never do distance running. And terrible for explosion. For any sport, for, really, other than distant, other than uh, running. But yeah, long. but but specifically for explosiveness. Of course. Like, yeah, there's the trade-off between long-distance stamina and twitch, quick-twitch fibers explosion. So it, it tallies. It all makes sense. In this world of let's build a profile let's put all the data points together and let's sort of see what's going on here you've got a guy who's in the army and look i never went through boot camp i have no earthy idea what i'm talking about we're guessing a little bit here right but (laughs) but judging from the movies there's an awful lot of running around with a pack on your back involved right and they're probably doing sit-ups all the time that's terrible (laughs) there's a lot of long distance stamina type of stuff in the army i also don't imagine they're feeding you like the very best nutrition humanly possible to build mass and you know all that kind of stuff so if we can assume a basic logical tenet of the man is probably not at the weight that he could or should be at if he was in football shape for his entire, like that was number one focus. And number two, the things that he's really been training at the majority of his time have actually been taking away from some of the things you really want him to be good at, which is explosion. Then you marry Can that. We move on? No, no, no. Are we done? No, no. Then you marry that with the fact that he is in the 80th percentile or higher for change of direction stuff. As a six foot six dude, he's huge. If you pile 20 pounds of muscle on him and work on his quick twitch now that he's like eating protein shakes and not you know whatever powers you for a 15 mile run my point being i think in a two or three year project andre carter could end up being a starting player in the nfl not just a dude that like makes a roster but it was going to be a two or three year project which is that's a day three thing now the fact that he slipped out of the draft entirely it was surprising to me but it means that the Vikings, as an undrafted free agent, okay, it costs them some money, but they've potentially got a guy that belongs in the middle round somewhere. Let's not overrate it too much. It's an intriguing thing. I don't think the money, like Carson Strong's already been cut after having a record signing bonus last year, the QB out of Nevada. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good move, Andre Carter, but we need to move on to the Baltimore Yeah, Ravens. like, look, the, the, the strike rate of any day three you know, fourth round pick and beyond is not good. But I think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, for the cost of some money, the Vikings may have effectively bought themselves a guy who has as much chance to hit or as much upside as a guy drafted in the fifth round or whatever. True. All right, Baltimore Ravens. We're on to the AFC North. Ravens start with Zay Flowers at pick 22, the wide receiver out of Boston College. Uh, Their second round pick went to Chicago, right, in the Roquan Smith deal. Trenton uh, Trenton Simpson, their linebacker out of Clemson, Round three with pick 86. Tavius Robinson, edge out of Ole Miss. Um, and then uh, Q Blue Kelly. Caillou? Caillou Blue Kelly. Cornerback out of Stanford in round five. I've never said this Oregon guy's name in round six. Developmental tackle, though. And then Andrew Voorhees, guard out of USC in round seven. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Ravens draft, Sam? Uh, I think it was an unusual draft for them. This didn't seem to be the typical Baltimore Ravens draft. This is the first time I have not loved the Ravens draft in years. And I think it's in part, I may have, uh, from a modeling standpoint, I may have stumbled into some similarities to what the Ravens have found. You reverse engineered the Ravens process. Is that what you're saying? I have not reverse engineered a process that is far more sophisticated than my process. All I'm saying is... A lot of the numbers I pull out say, hey, look at this guy that the Ravens drafted in the third or fourth round who ended up being pretty good. 
that's happened a bunch. Mm. And uh, they ha- they didn't draft those guys this year. They didn't draft model guys this year in say, the third round. I, I thought they were going to stick to that. So you're trying to say that maybe Baltimore hates their own draft. <laughs> They're the one maybe. team. You know, you get to the you cut to the camera and everyone's like, yeah, oh, we don't woo. And Baltimore's like, oh, God, that was another one that didn't really go that great. The numbers don't love that guy. No, but, yeah. <laughs> there may have been people in the we're building who were like, oh, no. They're not listening to right. us now. Just off camera is the bunch of guys of power, the model and data. They're all like, what are we doing here? Yeah, that could have happened. Yeah. I don't know. Starting with Zay Flowers at 22. Mm-hmm. I'll admit, I mean, that this could, this should be a good fit with the Ravens. I think, uh, you know, the thing I wanted to mention about Addison, I, th- I think Jordan Addison with the Vikings has to become the number two right away as soon as possible. Yep. With Justin Jefferson, Zay Flowers, and the other receivers in the first round, I think can start off as a third or fourth option. And for Zay Flowers with the Ravens, uh, much like the Chiefs, this offense should create some space and let him work. And I think that could be a really nice fit for him creating some explosive plays here for Baltimore. Yeah, you were talking about um, Zay Flowers, the, the fit being Kansas City for him. Like he's a more valuable player in that Kansas City offense because of what he can do there and how that system suits him. I think that Baltimore is a great fit for him as well. I don't love Zay Flowers, the player. Neither of us did. For me, pick number 22 is high. It's higher than he should go. But I love that fit. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can be because, you know, the, the bottom line with all this stuff is – a wide variety of opinions are perfectly acceptable for a player. Like, this is not a science. Everybody's hitting 30% as a strike rate. So the fact that the same player can be viewed as, can he be anything really more than a, than a uh, Dante Hall slot receiver adjusted for 2023 inflation? Or a bunch of other people, like multiple other people saying, this is Antonio Brown 2.0 on the field, not, you know. So... The fact that two different people, not you know, can come to the same, can come to those uh, extremes of conclusion on the same guy is fascinating to me. So I'm really intrigued and interested to see what Zay Flowers becomes. Like he's one of the most interesting players to watch now in the first couple of years for me because the opinions on him were so wildly divergent. So and then the Ravens are another team. They you know they only pick six times for a team that last year at this time was trading Marquise Brown for an extra first. Loved their you know, Last year they got Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum in the first round, uh, both high-end model guys who became very good. Uh, but two first-rounders, right? And then in the second round and third round, they're getting all these, you know, uh, David Ojabo. So, you know, he's part of this draft class maybe, Sam, coming off of his injury. Uh, Travis Jones. They're, they're getting all these guys who could have gone in the first, were mocked to go, to go in the first, and, you know, this year just didn't feel like that as much because they didn't pick as often or whatever it may have been. Um, but I love, had look, Zay Flowers to go with Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham mm-hmm. to go with Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews. Now we're talking. Now I'm looking forward to see what Todd Monken can do with this, with this offense, how it changes, how much they still tap into Lamar the runner versus trying to distribute to what looks like maybe the best group of pass catchers that they've had. There was a point a couple years ago where it looked like it could have been strong, but then guys got hurt and everything. They might be back on track, though, from a pass catcher standpoint, depending on how well OBJ comes back and what Zay Flowers becomes. But I think he's explosive and he's good after the catch, and the Ravens will give him, give him an opportunity to tap into those skills. Trenton Simpson in the third. I think that's a good solid pick. There was people that had him going as high as the first round to the Bills for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And then Simpson's going to come in. He's going to replace Patrick Queen, who they did not pick up the fifth-year option on Patrick Queen. Mm -hmm. So Simpson comes in, probably starts in 24, adds some depth here. And I think he needs the time to develop. He's very, very fast. Sprints fast in a straight line. 
but much like Patrick Queen and some of the yeah. other developmental linebackers over really the last is. couple of years, it really a feel, it's very similar. A feel for zone coverage is not there. Uh, overall feel for football playing isn't there, but the potential is because the athleticism is there. So Simpson's good at the, in the third, right, at pick 86. I like that value-wise. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure that there's a day three pick that I love. Like Tav- Tavius Robinson was – I don't know where he was on the consensus, but – You don't love where he's – no, Voorhees is good. That's good. You steal. I think that's yeah. Seventh round for okay. He tore his ACL in on the. Uh, I'm the sorry. Com- that that is potentially stealing a future starter on the yes. offensive line in round seven because of the injury. That yeah. is really smart by the Ravens. And I look, like that a lot. So we've said this before, I think, but the story for him is insane. Like he tore his ACL during on the field and the combine during the drills. Went down and it didn't look good right away, and it came out he did in fact tear his ACL. So that's bad for anybody, let alone an, an offensive lineman. Um, he then stayed there. Like, he tore his ACL. They stuck his leg in one of those, you know, long, full-length castings. He used crutches to hobble his way out to the bench press, sat down on the bench press, dangled that one wrecked leg off the side of it, and then repped 225 pounds 38 times, which is like, I think that was the highest of anybody at the Combine that year. Um, and, as you know, that's an insane total generally. That's one of the better numbers you're going to see from anybody uh that on its own would have me wanting to, i would draft him in the seventh round if that's all i knew about him all i knew was that story i'm taking that guy in the seventh round i want like in a league that still values the grit test loves ball baby is there anything more gritty than that no i'm not going to go home and get medical attention i'm going to put my i'm going to strap it up i'm going to bench 38 times with a leg hanging off the side of it um but he's also a good player in 2021, he had a 90-plus PFF grade. He's given up two sacks in the last two years. So he's a good player. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a versatile, good player that could easily be a starting guard for the Ravens, you know, in a year's time. Again, a 2024 pick with oh, that's obvious a, determination and grit. That's an outstanding pick. I apologize. That's good. a great pick at 229. Should always want to make that pick because they may have stolen a starter. The Ravens do good at stealing starters the morgan moses is of the world and just grabbing starters on the cheap and i think Voorhees has a chance to be that guy and also like in the se- it, it's the perfect like in the seventh round if your concern about a guy is you know he's torn his acl he might not play this year all right yeah, i mean fine. i don't need him in this year like if i can get him in the seventh round the only downside is he's going to play 2024 and beyond that's fine uh, so that was, yeah, that was a good pick there. I like that. Tavius Robinson, the edge in round four. I, th- I don't know where he was on the consensus, Sam, but that seemed higher than expectation. Developmental edge, 6'6", 257, ran fast. Didn't have great production at any point in his career. But 2 one, 2 212? Yep. So they got him about 100 picks, almost 100 picks higher than expectation. You know, do with, do with that what you want. Okay, draft by the Ravens. We gave it a B over at pff.com. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the Cincinnati Bengals. They kicked it off with Miles Murphy, the edge out of Clemson. Cornerback DJ Turner out of Michigan in the second round. Safety Jordan Battle out of Alabama in the third. Wide receiver Charlie Jones at Purdue. Running back Chase Brown out of Illinois. Andre Yusivas from Princeton, the wide receiver. Is that right? Yosivas. Yosivas. Or Yosivas, depending on who you are. Oh, yeah, there you go. And then a punter, round six, Brad Robinson out of Michigan. Michigan just pumping out. Uh, special teamers, kickers, wow. and punters in this draft. And then cornerback DJ Ivy out of Miami in round seven. What did you think of the Bengals draft, Sam? Yeah, I liked it quite a lot. Um, my concern for them going into this was where's the right tackle coming from? But if they think that they can get 
Jonah Williams to kick over the right tackle to play there and to get back towards his baseline of previous years, not what he did last year, giving up 13 sacks, then that's fine. Um, Miles Murphy at 28, I think is good value. There's, you know, there's questions about his tape. He didn't really get any better from his freshman season where he looked like he was going to become like one of those guys, one of those true elite edge rusher prospects. But the flashes have been there all the way along. Like you turn on his tape at any period and you see, oh, wow, this guy, this guy has the potential to be amazing. He's quick twitch. He's big. He's got, the, he's got all the traits you want. So to take him at 28, I think, is really good value. Your guy, DJ Turner, model guy, cornerback uh, in the second round, good value. Jordan Battle in the third is great value. Um, Charlie Jones, I think that could be your replacement for um, – for Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd. Yeah. Not, you know, they're going to need to get cheaper at certain places before too long. Charlie Jones could easily end up being, you know, the, the Tyler Boyd replacement before long. And then Andre, Chase Brown in the fifth round. Like, this is a draft it's long on running backs. Chase Brown could easily be a big part of that offense, replace Samaji Pirine. And then Andre Yosivas, the receiver, I mean, him and Charlie Jones, I think, are going to compete for return duties. And Yosivas has like the potential to develop down the line in this world where my gut reaction now is that T Higgins is going to take the uh, Jesse Bates pathway. I don't think they plan on keeping him around long-term. I think they plan on keeping him reasonably short-term to the point where they'll fifth-year option franchise tag. And then there's, there's no fifth-year option, but there'll be year four right, here right. and then franchise right. tag. So right. So yep. year four, and then franchise tag and then draw a line and say, we're not going beyond that. Um, if, if that's the case, that's, you know, like a two-year pathway for Yosivas to develop into that secondary guy. See, I think they, I think a draft like this gives them the opportunity to play with the idea of keeping Jamar Chase and T. Higgins long-term, of course, with Joe Burrow long-term. And the Bengals are one of the more interesting teams because we're trying to figure out how they can make all that work going forward. And I think their draft is the best combination of short, intermediate, and long-term needs being addressed without sacrificing value. There was no point in this draft where I think they drafted a player way higher than expected just because it's like, man, we really need this position. And then I like where they spent the draft capital. So edge defender Miles Murphy, who, you know, the Bengals said they had him in the top half of the first round. Other people did too. That's not egregious. Power rusher didn't really develop at Clemson into the guy that you expected, but he's a very good run defender and should be a solid pass rusher. At least a Sam, if he provides Sam Hubbard-like production, which is good, solid, late first-round type of production, I think that's a fair expectation. But he beca he becomes insurance now for Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, making all that money at edge, and Murphy becomes that cheaper option over the next couple of years because we've got to deploy resources elsewhere. Same thing with DJ Turner. Do you need a starting corner this year? Not necessarily. Cam Taylor-Britt and Chidabay Awujie are there, but Awujie is in the last year of his contract. Turner can compete for time right away. Yeah, the model loves him, but he's incredibly athletic, was productive at Michigan. He has a chance to contribute right away, but also in the long term. Mm -hmm. Jordan Battle at safety. He's going to be one of the more fascinating prospects because the production's incredible and the workout's terrible. So <laughs> we'll see the what wins out there, but he's got a chance to play right away at safety as well and give you a cheaper option at a, an important position. And then, as you mentioned, the receivers. Like, if Charlie Jones just – he absolutely could take over for Tyler Boyd, who they won't be able to afford right. after this year. 
Um, so I think it's a very good job of immediate needs without sacrificing value, but also future-proofing this roster that's going to have to deploy a ton of resources and make this roster really top-heavy. As a general concept, would you be more look, willing to overlook crappy measurables from players out of blue-blood programs in the SEC? You know, like, you just played multiple years at Alabama where you're going to get an idea if the lack of measurables is a problem or not. Like, obviously, ideally, you want elite measurables combined with elite tape. But if you're going to have a guy with terrible measurables, I would like at least to have the evidence that he's already been doing this at a high level in a very good conference going up against elite NFL players versus, you know, my guy played for Eastern Michigan, where I don't really know if this is an issue yet because the players he's going up against and playing alongside are not very good either. Yes, I'm more likely to do that. I think it also depends on the position. I think bad measurables are scary at corner. They are a little scary at safety. I think there's definitely some players because safety is a, it's more of a football intelligence type of position than pure athleticism, being in the right place at the right time in the right spot. And it's a lot of usage pattern, right? Like you don't want, you don't got, want guys with bad measurables, you know, either playing center field too often unless they're really good with their eyes and, and seeing the game. You don't want them one-on-one with receivers when you play quarters because they're just going to get destroyed. So I think usage for battle is going to be important there. So, yeah, it's a good question, right? Like, where do you draw that line? The numbers I've looked at say I'm, I'm more willing to overlook bad production with the great uh, measurables at, say, corner, whereas safety I think it's a little more hit or miss because you have guys like an Adrian Amos who have had really good productive careers. He's not an outstanding athlete, but he's a very good football player. And there's a lot of hidden value in those types. All that said, like Jordan Battle going at round three, pick 95, that's great. It's first round tape with with third round movement skills, in my opinion, for Battle. So I'll take that in third round, in the third round all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, Charlie Jones, Yusevis, uh, chance to <laughs> add to that receiving core and, and keep it strong. Yeah, the only question is, do they need to do something at at right tackle? And we'll see if they. Which, if Jonah Williams is the answer, you don't really. I mean, you know. Lyle Collins is still theoretically in the mix. Yeah, like he'll I just, come back. I don't want to roll with Akeem Adenogy. Yes. Lyle Collins will come back, but he's he tore three significant uh, ligaments in his knee. That's problematic for anybody, let alone a guy with an injury history of the extent and, and the length that his is. So, you know, Jonah Williams being your starter at right tackle, hopefully he can play the same level he was playing left tackle before last year. And then Lyle Collins working his way back to try and be the backup there. That's fine. Like, no problem. Yeah. The only places where you'd say, okay, what, did they all, what else did they not address? Maybe a little bit more on the defensive line. Maybe a, a nose tackle. DJ Reader's going to uh, – he's in the last year of his contract. Bring somebody in there. But I also think the way the def- defensive tackle market is going, you're going to – there's a bunch of guys in that 5 to $8 million range that you could bring in and kind of stitch it together there. So mm-hmm. I think the Bengals are in good shape, and it was a good draft, like I said, for short, intermediate, long-term needs, like what the Bengals did. We gave them an A over at pff.com. There you go. Cleveland Browns, a couple more teams to get through here. Browns did not pick until pick 74 in round three, where they go Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver out of Tennessee, Siaki Ika, the defensive tackle out of Baylor with their second, third-round pick. They get the falling Dewan Jones, round four, pick 111, the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Isaiah McGuire, the edge out of Missouri, was their second, fourth-round pick. They go Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, the QB out of UCLA in round five, Cameron Mitchell, the cornerback out of Northwestern, and then center Luke Whipler out of Ohio State in round six. 
this is the time, Sam, where we look at this draft and we say we love it, right? We, I love a lot of these players here because if Dewan Jones went late first, I wouldn't have been surprised. If Luke Whippler went in the second, I wouldn't have been surprised. If uh, Ika went in the second, wouldn't have been surprised. So the Browns got all the guys that look like great value picks. They all fell. Um, I know the caveat here, guys who usually fall, there's no doesn't mean the hit rate's better you know guys right. where perception was higher than reality for these guys but i'm buying in to uh perception that the browns may have stolen some really good starters here throughout the draft despite not picking until pick 74 yeah no i think this is a good draft um look dewan jones i think he's at a crossroads now like he went in the fourth round we were talking about a guy who could maybe should have gone in the first round based off his tape based off how he dominated the first day at the senior bowl but you have all the stuff Chris was talking about, I think, on our show first and then the day one of the draft show where he's saying, look, he turned a lot of people off in the NFL with his attitude, with the way he bailed on the senior bowl after one good day of practice, essentially like in cricket, like I just declared on that score and then not going to risk making it worse over the next few days. Then how he handled his pro day. Um, there was a report out yesterday that he, he was telling people, the NBA was his first love, you know. My dream is to play in the NBA. As the, you know, as the NFL people are wanting to hear nothing other than how much you love football and all that kind of stuff. I don't really care about that. But when you, It's ridiculous. Right. But when you add that to all the other stuff that, like, Chris was saying that he'd never heard, like, the venom that was being used by these NFL personnel guys to describe the attitude presented by Dewan Jones, right? The point being... Whatever this is, the totality of what's happened, it's potentially cost him three rounds worth of draft position, which comes with it three rounds worth of investment and buy-in from the team that's taking you. So Dewan Jones is now at this crossroads where either he like buckles down and gets his shit together and is like, oh, I can't, I, I got to prove it now. I got chip on the shoulder. I got to show that I'm a first round guy. I've got to get my career together because I almost cost myself the whole opportunity or we're on like a fast track pathway to Isaiah Wilson, to Aaron Gibsoning his way out of the NFL. Like, I think that's, that's where we are right now. And he goes one of two directions. It's a great place to take that, take that risk. Yeah, absolutely. The fourth round, round four. 100%. I mean, genuinely, I think that guy has first round talent. I think he could be the second best tackle in this draft. It wouldn't be crazy. So yes, attitude concerns, whatever you want to characterize that as. To, take that, to have that in the fourth round, it's 100% a kind of gamble I would take. Okay, the more I listen to evaluators over and over again, and I, I may have uh, put some funny words together when I was saying that yesterday. Mm. You hear evaluators talk about how much the players that they drafted love football. They yeah. all love football. And because I, I, don't, I don't know if it's an edge around the NFL, if everybody's looking for the guys who love football, because it seems like 90% of them really love ball, right? They love it. So... The guys who drop, is it, it's not injuries or it's probably just they don't love ball enough. Or the, the <laughs> perception is that they don't, right? Like that's why a guy like Dewan Jones, like the evaluator can't go to the podium and say, we drafted Dewan Jones, he loves football. Yeah, okay. So listen. If they, got to, if they came to that conclusion. Jones, who is 375 pounds at the combine and then weigh, doesn't, refuses to weigh in at his pro day, but is allegedly visibly heavier by up to 20 pounds if you're listening to people, right? Now you have a guy where his actual motivation for this job is, is actually quite a relevant piece of information. 
if he doesn't really want to be good at this, which is being used like the the we're using this sort of interchangeably. Does he love football equals does he actually want to work hard at this job? For him, I think it's a much bigger question because yeah. now if he doesn't, is he just going to eat his way out of the league and we're going to be a 420-pound dude by week three and by week 12, we're like, this just doesn't work. I got to get rid of this guy. So it's always phrased in this stupid fashion of like, oh, he doesn't love football. But really what we're trying to answer here is, does he care enough to actually try and be good at this? Because if he doesn't, there's no point in me drafting him because it's not going to work. I, I think that's really fair. I mean, I, I joke about it because I, I don't – with the way it's cited all the time is like every team feels like they've got this advantage. Right. Like, look, we've got the – we only draft people that are going to be Chicago Bears, so, Detroit Lions or whatever. We're going to draft our guys, our character guys, but every team is literally doing that. Right. But so I, in yeah, isolation – the piece of information that Dewan Jones, apparently his first dream was to play in the NBA is irrelevant. It's stupid. It sounds ridiculous. But if teams are using that and saying, well, this is his fallback option. This is simply demonstrative of what else I'm seeing that he doesn't actually want to do this, that this is not what he's going to work towards for the rest of his life. It's potentially like the it's potentially a data point in this pattern of behavior that is leading teams to suspect that this guy is actually going to crap out of the league like very quickly and not realize this first round potential that he has yeah and so i'm good taking that risk in the fourth certainly worth taking that risk in the fourth especially where who the heck knows on all those reports and all that stuff yes so what does that even look like i think there's a chance if he does have his head on straight and he's good he could take over for Jedrick Wills at left tackle next year. Yeah. Or even compete for left tackle. I would I would compete him at like because you got Jack Conklin I mean, at right tackle. I think Conklin's gonna be on the roster. I don't think they're getting rid of him. But Conklin's also had a long injury history. He's had himself. injuries. Like I yeah. think if Dewan Jones gets his stuff together, he's a viable option at either tackle spot in the future for the Browns. So I, get him in the mix. If if both tackles are healthy, get Dewan Jones playing a little tight end. Right away, you get a little tight, tight end. end. Yes. Juan Jones. Well, just extra you extra block is six-man O-line. Blocking for Nick Chubb with Deshaun Watson in the backfield. we got some creativity here. Uh-huh. I love it. Let, I'm not letting him run routes or anything like that. Oh, I thought that but was he's a better But he's a better blocker than Jordan Akins and David Njoku, who they have an actual tight end. I now want to see him run a corner route right in the end zone. Yeah, maybe we'll look at him. 6'8", 270, or 375 I'll pounds. teach you to not work out. Run a corner. Mm-hmm. I'll see you move. We'll get some... Uh, Get some uh, NGS time. They'll just on use them. that as a they'll use that as a way of getting them to do wind sprints without getting them to do wind sprints. Yes. You know? Yeah. So we're not gonna punish you with extra like cardio work. Having said that, we're you're gonna install end. you in our tight end package where yeah. you're gonna have to run a corner or a drag route across the back of the end zone. We'll we'll practice that a few times during the week, you know? So again, given what they had, let me just talk about Whipler really quick here. Round six. Uh, production was outstanding for Whipler. I get mm-hmm. the people who didn't love Whipler because he doesn't I, I don't know if he plays guard at all. He might be a center only. Right. But uh, Ethan Pozik, he's under contract there. But I think you've got at least a good backup center there, Whipler, who could take over as a starter in the future too. Three years of good production at yeah. Ohio State, good hand usage and all that stuff. I think he could play in the league, and you get him in the sixth. Yeah, um, I mean, I, the I, lack of ability to play multiple positions is an issue when you only keep eight guys active every week and all that stuff. But I think he's a starting center. Right, that's the thing. Like, it, it, it's sure it's not ideal, but it, the bottom line is you, you do need a center and. You also kind of need a backup at that spot. And if he's a starting caliber center, that's a valuable spot, even if you're taking him, you know, even if you don't think he can play other positions. Uh, Cedric Tillman, their first, rece- uh, their first pick, pick 74, 
Tillman, another guy that got rumors to go up as high as the second and everything, a uh, good outside receiver who has some work to do against press. But again, I think I think Keely Ringo dropped to the fourth round because he couldn't cover Cedric Tillman. I mean, they think that was a big part got of owned the by him. evaluation, right? I mean, Tillman was the star for Tennessee before he got hurt and Jalen Hyatt took over. So you had Tillman to this mix, big-bodied, physical guys, pretty good on slants and uh, you add him to Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Marquise Goodwin. I, I, I think he's got a chance to contribute here as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think he's a good receiver in the third round. Absolute steal. What he is really good at, and Mike Renner talks about this a lot, is how suddenly can you stop? You know, it's one thing to be going quickly in, yep. in one direction, but what really separates a lot of these receivers is how quickly they can throttle it down and break off and go in a different direction after threatening something vertical. Tillman stops really suddenly. Like, he can break off his routes in an instant. And for a guy 6'3", you know, 200-plus pounds, he does that really, really well. And we've been railing against this Tennessee offense, you know, how difficult it is to project to the NFL. Tillman's role in that offense is the most applicable to the next level. We've seen a lot more NFL asks from him than we've seen from Jalen Hyatt or from Hendon Hooker. So I feel a lot better about projecting his role into the NFL than I did about either of those other two guys. I mean, I think in the, the third round, that, that's incredible value. Um, really quick, Siaki Ika, the nose tackle out of Baylor, there's a path to the field for him as well. The Browns have been terrible at defensive tackle for a while. And uh, this is what's interesting about like the Cowboys and Browns have, are two teams who have not solved their defensive tackle problem for multiple years, say. And the, the Cowboys used the round one pick on Mozzie Smith I think Bozzy Smith's a better player than Ika from Baylor, but I don't know, is it that big of a difference? Now you've got Siaki Ika, third round, pick 98. I think he has a chance to come in and be that big body up front. Uh, pass rush production really tapered off last year, but I don't know if you need it a ton, especially from your third rounder. He's going to come in. Dalvin Tomlinson is there. Steal some snaps from Jordan Elliott, who's just had a rough career so far mm -hmm. after you know we liked him a few years ago as well. But I think the Browns have really improved their defensive line with – Ika in the third, Isaiah McGuire, a little juice off the edge there to add to Miles Garrett, Okoronkwo, uh, Alex Wright. So given the picks that they had, even Cameron Mitchell in the fifth, former teammate of uh, Greg Newsom, the uh, former first rounder for the Bear, for the for the Browns. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that they drafted Isaiah McGuire. I was actually talking about the Browns on radio this morning, and I he slipped my mind that they'd added him as well. I always forget Isaiah McGuire. Always. Um, real power player, though, like a guy that could combine with Akaronquo and sort of be, you know, the two-down version to Akaronquo's pass rush specialist on that side of the line. Obviously, Miles Garrett is, is like an every-down guy, but he's got a lot of power, a ton of bull rushes on his tape. Part of that was the alignment at Missouri. They didn't get him into the kind of space to do an awful lot else, but he's, he's got some pass rush moves as well. I think he can play inside um, in tighter spaces and let somebody play outside him. Or he can be your guy that sets that hard edge against the run and gets on the field that way. So, you know, they drafted Alex Wright last year, right, to, to try and be a bit of a project player. Didn't see a ton from him year one. Now they've added guys like Okoronkwo. Um, and then Isaiah McGuire, I think, is another good addition to the ones they've got inside. Like, yeah, they've, they've really bolstered that defensive line, which needed it badly. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 12-year starter at UCLA, <laughs> steps right in to compete for backup snaps at is Cleveland. He, uh, is he older than, than Deshaun Watson? I think he backed up Cade McDown in the Rose Bowl <laughs> back in 99 at UCLA. 
DTR, just I don't I need a name for these players, but uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, you could say you could put Brock Purdy in this bucket, you could put Kenny Pickett in this bucket, Sean Clifford, just these college quarterbacks who for the first two, three, four years of their career, uh, Purdy's maybe not a good example. He He's went the only other way. 23, by the way. He's only 23, huh? These guys that were just kind of like the enigmatic college quarterback, right? Oh, man, I've got DTR. I'm excited about him, but oh, no, he throws the bad interception at the wrong time. And then by their senior year, they're better. Like, look at those senior year numbers. You know, good touchdown-interception ratio, completed almost 70% for a guy who had serious accuracy issues for a lot of his career. He did continue to get better mm-hmm. at UCLA, and I know there's a lot of people that liked him. And it, my point is it's, like, almost tough to say, like, there was no way this guy was a prospect three years ago, two years ago. Yeah. But they are better as seniors, and they've got all this experience. And he's the it's intriguing in the fifth. Yes. For sure. He's a classic player where I saw him earlier in his career – and you look at a guy and you're like, there is 0% chance that that guy becomes a viable NFL player down the line. But then they get better. Now, sometimes you see those guys and you're sort of forever tainted by your first impression. That idea of you only get one first impression. Well, if your first impression is absolute trash, your brain is indelibly marked with the idea that that guy cannot become an NFL player. Um, he got a lot better throughout his college career. Now, I don't know that he ever got like good, you know. Like he got better from complete ass to like, yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you got. So if you came to his tape like last thing first, if the most recent stuff was what you started with, you're like, okay, I could see how this could work. But if you actually saw the progression, you're like, we got a lot better, but we still didn't exactly get really good here. Um, and there's a massive gap, obviously, between him and the guys at the top of the draft. But in this world of the, the second, third tier of quarterbacks this year, none of them really have starting tools, potential. Like, they just don't even have the things that you need to bring to the table. DTR at least has that. He's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the arm. You can craft a world in your brain where he becomes a starting quarterback down the line. And as you say, that's absolutely worth a fifth-round pick. I love it. I love the Browns draft. We gave it an A-minus over at PFF.com. I think, you know, given what they had and the – having potential starters and contributors with almost every pick there, I think it's yep. a huge win for the Browns. Liked it. And an undrafted free agent they got that I think is worth mentioning, Lonnie Phelps, edge oh, rusher yeah, from Kansas, who had been, where was he before Kansas? Louisville? Somewhere like that. Uh, Lonnie he, Phelps. Productive career for him at edge. 206 on the consensus board, so shouldn't have slipped out of the draft. I liked his tape a lot. Um, he model reminded Jason during the season. Yeah, you what model, model Jason? Jason during the season? Yeah. He reminded me of somebody from from his sort of stance, and I could never quite put my finger on who it was. He has this really upright look. You can see it from that pick. He's got like a bolt upright back, and I don't know if it's just a long torso or this absurd like he's the textbook posture guy. You know, we see all those ads where it's like shoulders back. You know. Chest forwards, back in a straight line, I like the that. yeah, the things that are supposed to create that, you know, those like uh, posture improving devices. Lonnie Phelps has been using one of those since the age of three by the by the posture that he displays at all times. But he was good, like he he's disruptive. He makes a lot of plays. So I I'm surprised he fell out of the draft entirely. I think he can be a player for them. A minus for the Browns plus Lonnie Phelps in free agency, pretty good haul given what they brought into the draft. Let's wrap it up now. I think this is all. Pittsburgh Steelers. It's our last team. 32 of 32. Beautiful. Uh, for those people who say that we hate the Steelers. We loved the Steelers draft. Both of us did. I think everybody loved the Steelers draft. Yeah. Number one, they trade up a few spots to get Broderick Jones, the tackle out of Georgia, at pick 14. They get Joey Porter Jr. at cornerback. 
uh, with the first pick of the second round, pick 32. Keanu Benton, the defensive tackle out of Wisconsin, is their second second round pick. Tight end Darnell Washington falls all the way to pick 93 in round three. The tight end out of Georgia. Uh, love that pick, given the uh, the value, the fall for Darnell Washington. Nick Herbig, one of my favorite players in the draft, round four, pick 132. And then uh, they don't pick again until round seven, where they pick up Corey Trice, who fell quite a bit, the cornerback out of Purdue. Medicals, apparently. Medicals. Spencer Anderson, the tackle out of Maryland, is their second, seventh round pick. So, look, it's easy to like drafts, once again, where big names seem to fall. Yeah. And there might be reasons why that happened. But... Overall, I think the Steelers did a great job of not only picking players where they should have, but definitely taking whether there was a medical risk or whatever risk with Darnell Washington, with Corey Trice, all worthwhile gambles much lower than they were expected to go. Yeah. No, I love this draft. Um, Washington is is the interesting pick because, I mean, if you listen to this show before the draft, you would know that I'm not in love with Darnell Washington by any stretch. And I it shocked me that he was being talked about as a potential first rounder based off what he brings to the table but at some point in the draft once these tight ends were flying off the board and we were getting through the second round and blah 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 it's like all right even by my standards we've gone too far here like again we've overcorrected i get that there are reasons to be concerned about darnell washington but there's enough to like that he should be gone already so to get him in the third round pick number 93 i think is a steal broderick jones a lot of people had him as their number one tackle in the draft. Pittsburgh picks him up, gets to absolutely upgrade one of the two tackle spots they have. And then Joey Porter Jr., obviously you get the story of him, you know, going to his dad's old team, Joey Porter Sr., the outside linebacker for Pittsburgh back in the day. It's a nice sort of symmetry there. But I also think Porter's a better player than people are giving him credit for. Um, he's seen as the best press man corner in this draft, A, Perfect fit schematically going to Pittsburgh. They play a lot of press man, so that's good. B, um, I think he can be more than that. Like, I genuinely think he has a lot more skills in zone coverage, or at least the ability to be really good in zone coverage once you iron out a couple of sort of kinks in his in his game. I Joey Porter at pick number 32 is a steal. Yeah, I, Omar Khan the, <coughs> it is his first full draft as the GM with the Steelers, his first full offseason as GM with the Steelers. And I, I think Pittsburgh came into the draft without a ton of needs. You know, look, there's, it's easy to get caught up in either big-name signings or big names who fall in the draft. And I don't know if all of them are going to work out for the Steelers. Of course like, not. Trading for Allen Robinson, right? Mm. But we, we talk a lot about swinging for the fences and the, the ceiling and all that stuff. It's a high-ceiling draft for the Steelers because of all of this, right? Including... It, that's on top of trading a seventh for Allen Robinson. Right. Bringing Allen Robinson into the mix to be with George Pickens and Deontay Johnson and Calvin Austin III, you're, you're doing well by your quarterback. You're doing well by Kenny Pickett, who shoot, showed some flashes last year, but you, know, you want to up the production, the, actual, the red zone production, and the actual points that you're putting on the board in Pittsburgh. You add Darnell Washington to Pat Fryermuth, who's already one of, becoming one of the better all around tight ends and Washington can be your two and be a run blocking tight end who's just going to create some mismatches here and there. How about that red zone package with Darnell Washington and George Pickens and Allen Robinson, the potential there. So I just like the way the Steelers are, the team is being put together. Yeah. And in, and it's tough for me to say because it's in our contract that we're not supposed to say nice things about the Steelers. <laughs> it's, it's a PFF axiom that you can't say nice things about the Steelers. You're actually getting fined for this show? Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm willing to, to eat the fine. Because I like the way the Steelers are building their team. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm with you on the Joey Porter Jr. thing. And again, they he doesn't have to step in and start. He probably competes to start, you know, with Akilah Witherspoon. He probably, you know, the Steelers probably want him yeah. to take over for Witherspoon. We bring in Patrick Peterson and it's a decent group for did this you, year and for the future. Did you see the little uh, like pep talk that Joey Porter Sr. was giving him? No. As he was sliding out of the first round, you know, he was like he was basically talking about how we're going to use this. You know, it's going to be chip on the shoulder material. You know, yeah. he was like, you know, you did nothing wrong. Like this is just the way the draft goes sometimes. And you know, blah. it was good, good little thing. You can Google and find the find the little talk. It's, it's funny. Like we need to analyze all the guys who've had chips on their shoulders historically. Yeah, and if that translates to production. It is very easy sometimes to treat commodify players and just sort of treat them as abstracts and and just pieces right but you do get not so much at the draft because the networks aren't actually great at this at the time it's just oh no, they try to exploit the stories by staring at will levis the whole time in the green room well they try like, and exploit looking at his sad face that's yeah. the network make it into a much bigger story than it should be right they try and exploit the story and they don't bring you any depth to it it's just like here's the here's the living room scene of this player and everybody's happy like, all right yeah fine but what a, you know it's only after the draft where you start to see the little videos of you know the the little moments or the little things that are said that are actually that humanize the whole thing you yeah. know so you've got joey porter senior giving joey porter jr the pep talk you've got um quentin johnston who as a player we've been reasonably negative about overall but you know johnston getting this moment of saying you know, his mother's going to retire tomorrow. Like, I don't want you working again. Yeah. I just hit the jackpot for all of us. Like, this is, like, that's what it's, there's a humanizing thing that gets lost along the way that is nice to, like, reconnect with after the draft with all these little moments that you see. And even players that you didn't like as players, as, you know, on-field commodities, they're people that just had their dream fulfilled this day. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, we should we should definitely appreciate that a little bit more maybe than we do yeah which is nice to yeah. see even if it's a player that you don't you know think is that great or a player that you don't think is going to work out down the line like that's a dude who honestly though has been working for this for his entire life and just hit the jackpot again as much as we joke about the model and numbers and all that stuff that is why evaluators that's why you could i could get behind brad holmes being like jameer gibbs and jack campbell are our guys like we right. love them so much we believe in the people and yeah. we want to work with those people right you're choosing the people that you're going to work with for the next four or five years. You and I have had some uh, co-workers that we like and don't like, right? Maybe you don't... Uh, I mean, everybody has. Right? Everybody has. So you get to choose the people that you're working with. So you have to consider all of that stuff. Also, I can... But it's I, also... I can relate, Sam. When I went undrafted, I was very sad and I went for a ride by myself and was like, man, what's going on? Three times, right? Yeah, the first time, I mean, in high school, I wasn't expecting to get drafted, but yeah, I got passed up 4,500 times. Yeah. That hurt. That's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of rejection. <laughs> But I used it for good. Chip on my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. I had the chip, and uh, now I just eat all the chips. Yeah, but it's but, also, uh, yeah. It, I mean, used it. It also makes it easy to understand why it's difficult sometimes for teams to, you know, stick to the script, stick to the what's supposed to be the correct way of doing it, right? Because they do sit down with these guys. They do, you start to like people. Like, yeah. it's only natural. Like you said, we, everyone's been around people they didn't like or, or liked. You've also been around people that you liked within five minutes of meeting them, you know, and people that you hated within five minutes of meeting them. So when you sit down with all these prospects, when you bring these guys into your building, there are going to be guys you like right away. And you're like, man, I, I, we wanted, I want to draft that guy. That guy's great. But the data is saying no. Your, your heart is saying, this guy, I love this dude, want to make his dream come true, want him to play for my team. But every piece of your data is saying, there's another guy over here 
who you don't like as much is ten times better. I don't know how I would handle that if I was uh, right in the isn't that the problem? Like that's in the where... assistant GM seat, or if I was in one of those seats where we're all you know the the brain trust is making decisions. I don't know how I would handle that. Like and this guy's a blue, right? But he's uh, you know, and it's really easy to do from our seat where you don't have that connection with these people. And you're saying, yeah. how can you overlook what all the data is saying? Because you haven't had that, like the scene in Moneyball, right, where he's like, why does Billy Bean or whatever his name is not travel on the plane with the players? like, ah, oh, he doesn't want to, you know, he's got to cut these guys like tomorrow. He can't have that connection with him. It's got to be real. Like, that's got to be a problem. Yeah. Um, just to circle back to the Steelers again, Keanu Benton, the second-round pick out of Wisconsin, very interesting profile. If you see some of the highlights, if you've surfed Twitter or just, you know, watched him play, unbelievable get off on the, you know, off the ball, penetrates into the backfield. He does a, a lot of good stuff, disruptive type of player. I think he's got a lot of pass rush potential. His uh, run defense profile is not great. I mentioned uh, yesterday's show, maybe it was Brian Brzee, two guys who had really good pass rush grades, not so great run defense grades. Benton's kind of in that bucket. Um, but I like that in the second if you're going to use him right. I don't think you're getting this point of attack, you know, nose tackle type, but right. you're getting a, maybe an interior pass rusher to complement Cameron Hayward and the edge rushers that they have in Pittsburgh that's going to that's gonna pay off. And then Nick Herbig, the edge slash linebacker, I really like a lot. You think he moves to off-the-ball linebacker, like, full-time? I think the NFL probably wanted him to. He is – I mean, so we've got this history of Wisconsin players doing that, right? Yeah. With Joe Schobert, Zach Bond. That's actually a weird run. It how, is. How do you find that many tweener-type edge rushers? Those guys are pure edge rushers in college who became linebackers at the NFL, but Bond's done a little bit of hybrid stuff. Herbig, I think, can – do a little hybrid stuff. I, when he played in space, he kind of moves well. He yeah. plays zone coverage pretty well. And I know the the Steelers brought in Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts to play linebacker. Like I'd give Herbig a shot to compete with those with those jobs, and then you know be a be a blitzer on third down to go with T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith and everything they have there. So I like Herbig. I think he's just a good. I talked to Renner about him. I'm like, man, is Herbig the best linebacker in this class? I was that excited about him. Right. Maybe other than Jack Campbell. And Renner's like, I don't know, but I just think he's going to be good. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do, but I think he's going to be good. So, love the Steelers draft. We gave it an A plus, one of the few A pluses around the uh, PFF draft gate grades over at PFF.com. Mm -hmm. Is that it? I think it might be. Did we give all thirty-two teams proper love? Well, I mean, you know, who, who's to determine what's proper? What do we talk about for the next four months? It's up to you guys. NFL Podcast at PFF.com. Let us know. What the hell we should be talking about for the next couple of months? Well, we had some happened. fun shows last year. Um, Austin Gale, rest in peace. You guys did a huge show last year. I was doing. I would always do the uh, one reason for optimism for every mm. team, and it was like, yeah, pretty good numbers. And then you guys would come in and be like, one reason for pessimism for every NFL team, and the thing crushed, doubled up my optimism show. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll get to that at some point. Yeah, negative negativity. Well, I'm sure we'll get to some negativity. We'll get to some great negativity. Yeah, there's also some you know bits of news that have happened over this week. We'll talk about those tomorrow, right? The last yeah. show of the week. Tomorrow we're going to talk uh, fifth year options mm -hmm. around the league. Jordan Love's QB contract signing of uh, uh, Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith going to the Chiefs, and uh, we'll talk left tackle, right tackle, and their value, and all sorts of good stuff. We could talk nerdy things too, and then also let us know if you want us to rewatch an old draft. Oh God. Like the one-hour condensed first-round version, and we'll watch. There's uh, got to be like, something better we can watch than a draft from 2006. But it's all the same stuff. We like the team building. What were they thinking? Why did they draft? You know, whoever. At the, uh, 
Will they pass up? I think this falls into the category of, you know, late 90s JAG show. No, this is way my better interest. than that. It's yeah. way better than that. Old drafts are fun. What uh, else could we watch with you? I don't know. Again. A live watch along. NFL podcast at PFF. I'm telling you. I know that the Jags late 90s show would not do well. I would, that's why I would not push it. <laughs> that's good. good other than that. a segment. Yeah. I think this would cook. I think an old draft review of 05 or 08 or whatever year would cook. Let us know if that would cook. Also, hit the thumbs up. Let's go. And let us know about future guests. Yeah. Do we, do we get Greg Rosenthal back? Do we get Rick Spielman back? Do all of our work for us. Yeah, yeah do all the stuff for us. <laughs> plan this whole show well, out. No, it's, it's your show. It's the people's show. Oh, I see. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's good. You it's guys well make done. this show. You guys make it all happen. It's so we good. appreciate everybody. We appreciate everybody for watching all of our draft stuff. Our recap show after the draft is, uh, is doing well. Yeah, it's doing crazy watched. well. The numbers yeah. we got in that thing, when you consider we started it at like, what, half 12, one, whatever the hell time it was, is yeah. crazy. The number of people that still wanted to watch and get uh, analysis on the draft that had just happened at 1 a.m. in the, you know, in the morning is crazy. So, yeah, we appreciate everybody. Uh, go listen to the previous draft reviews. And then, yeah, Sam and I will be back tomorrow catching up on all the post-draft NFL news. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow.